where we're going to begin this morning. That's uh, if you need a pew Bible, a 922. Uh, you can turn to 922 in one of those pew Bibles and follow along as I read Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to start in verse 1, and we'll read most of the chapter together. Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and, the glory, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, Paul says. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, Paul says, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul would have enjoyed singing along with that song, I Will Rise. What a day that will be. Verse 12. And not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise that God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Father, help us today to think maturely, to think what the Apostle Paul thinks and, and records for us here by the inspiration of your Spirit. You have a word for us today. I pray that I would not hinder communicating that in any way. 
And I pray that we would have ears to hear and that we would not just have ears to hear, but that we would do the words that we hear today. God, I pray that you would bring about great personal revival in our lives, great corporate revival in this church. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in uh, Philippians 3, Paul uh, masterfully, beautifully, emotionally, uh, some might even say angrily, uh, communicates and boils down the core of the Christian life, the aim, the, the objective. One simple principle. He introduces that to us in verse 7 and 8. Uh, he expounds on it a little bit in 9, 10, and 11. He applies it throughout the rest of the chapter. And so what is it that the Christian life boils down to? What is the aim? What is the goal? What is the purpose? What is the mission? What is to be at the center? Well, there's a lot that would say, well, I think, you know, religious practice should be at the center. So you need to go to church. That should be at the center. Reading your Bible should be at the center. Uh, and they would list off a lot of things that you need to do. And those things that you do should be at the center. Well, that's not what Paul says here. If you expand outside of the church, there's a lot of claims as to what should be at the center of your life, what should be the aim. Some people say it's family. Family should be at the center of your life. Some people say it's just doing the things that you love and the things that you enjoy, finding that thing that brings you the most fulfillment and do it whatever the cost to anybody else. It's not what the Apostle Paul points us to. What does Paul say should be at the center? Here's what he says, to know him. Paul says that's at the center. To know Christ is at the center of my life. It's the aim. It's the purpose. It's the mission. Here in these verses, he says, everything in my life is garbage in comparison to knowing him. Everything. Family. Jesus, he, Jesus said it, didn't he? You got to hate your father, your mother, your brothers if you want to follow me. Money. It's garbage. Houses. All of it in comparison to knowing Christ. He goes on to describe being, being found in Jesus. And what he means by this is I want to be found in the righteousness that is Jesus' righteousness. Paul did not want to show up at some appointed day in the future before the throne of God with his hands full of his own righteousness and say, look at all the, the good things that I did. He says, no, I want to be found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can appear before a holy God. He says, I want to be found in him. He also longs to experience the power of the resurrection to share Jesus' suffering to become like Jesus in death. Beautiful statements. What Paul describes here is a deep, intimate, growing, spiritual relationship with Jesus. And to many of us, we read Paul's words and they seem foreign. We don't know what he, he means. We don't long for Jesus in that same deep, intimate way. We're content with a, 
a Sunday Jesus. We'll, we'll learn about him, we'll sing about him, we'll give to him. But Monday through Saturday, those are my days. We're, we're content with the, the Jesus that we can call on for, for comfort or help when we find ourselves in a bind. The Savior that comes at our bid, at our call. But to wake up thinking about Jesus, to go to bed at night thinking about Jesus, to in the middle of a busy uh, day, whether it's at work or school or taking care of kids, to think about Jesus and his glory in that moment, to want to follow him so closely that we actually experience the same suffering that he experienced, to, to want Jesus so much that other desires in our life, things for, desires for food and relationships and, and sex and money and comfort and all of them, they seem so weak in comparison to this desire for him. That kind of desire for Jesus shouldn't be foreign. But too often it is. So if you permit me to ask a few questions as we get started this morning. Is your relationship with Jesus growing? Is your relationship with Jesus growing? Is the, the fruit of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, evident in your life? Is the growth of that fruit evident in your life? We're talking about love and joy and peace and patience and the list goes on. Is it evident in your life? Are you in obedience serving others? In, inside of the church, sorry about that, inside of the church, outside of the church. And is that, that love for those people, that service coming with greater affection with greater joy, with greater intensity, with greater sacrifice? Do you delight in his word? Considering it of a greater priority than breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Is Jesus the goal that we're straining for? There's never a good time to take a drink. Paul writes this, one thing I do, I forget what's behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. And what lies ahead for Jesus, he presses on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God found in Christ. Can you feel the emotion of Paul? I, I love this chapter. It's his testimony. It's his story. The abandon of Paul, the intensity. I mean, he screams through the paces, it's Jesus, it's only Jesus, it's always Jesus. Strain forward and grab more of Jesus. That's it. That's the goal. That's the point. This year, in 2020, our focus will be to recapture that desire. Our focus will be to strain forward to know Christ more. Peter put it this way at the end of his second epistle, the last thing that he writes. 
He says that you may grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he, he's not talking about it, and neither is Paul when he uses the word knowledge in here. Well, I know about how Jesus walked on the water. I know about how Jesus uh, fed the 5,000, and I, I know about all those things. He's not talking about just having this knowledge in our head about the events of Jesus' life. He's talking about knowing him, the person of Jesus, having a relationship with him to follow him in greater obedience, to conform our lives to his, to love him more deeply than ever before, to love other people more deeply than ever before, just as he did to love them sacrificially, to tell other people about this truly amazing Savior. In 2020, we're going to move forward in this, in this endeavor, following the example of Paul here in Philippians chapter 3. But in order for us to strain forward, for more of Jesus, we have to right here, right now, do an honest assessment. What's holding us back? Why haven't we been doing this all along? And so Paul says, I forget what lies behind. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, and this is in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there, you want to make a notation. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a, a cloud of witnesses, then let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul says if you're going to run, you, you lay aside the weights. You get rid of the baggage and you run. And in verse 2, he says this, you're running looking to Jesus who happens to be the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So question to ask today is what are, what are, what are the weights what are the things that are holding us back, slowing us down, keeping us from straining forward for more of Jesus? For some, it may be fear. Fear. To be transparent, fear has kept me back for quite some time. This last fall, when I was able to get away and, and do some planning on the planning retreat, uh, this was one of the, the things that the Lord was working on in me is this, this fear. I was afraid to see in this church what happened in this church in the mid-90s and in the mid-2000s splits. People hurt. And I didn't want to upset the apple cart. I didn't want to change things that, that would cause such confusion, anger, frustration. But last year, you know, story after story through Joshua and Judges, we were just reminded, it's pounded into us, Yahweh is powerful. Yahweh is faithful. Yahweh's promises are sure. Why are you not trusting this God, Josh? Why are you not able to, to put the past in the past? Why are you still letting the past affect your present and your future? And I was convicted. 
There's a fear of failure sometimes that keeps us from straining forward. None of us like to fall on our face. It's embarrassing. We don't like to make mistakes. It's embarrassing. And we know that if we, if we move forward, there's a chance that something can go wrong. And we're all sinners, so the chance is pretty high that something can go wrong. The, the failure is, is part of being a follower of Jesus. We're, we're humans. We're going to fail. And so this, this fear of failure keeps us back from taking those steps forward. Uh, fear of giving up my desires. Sometimes I just don't want to move forward and follow Jesus because I know if I'm going to do that, then I've got to give a few things up in my life. My life may have to drastically change. Fear of change, we don't like that one either. And it keeps us from moving forward sometimes. From living the life that we're meant to experience, we don't want to deal with the change. And, and I just want to I just want to commend this congregation and say thank you because over the last three to five years we've gone through a lot of change here. And you haven't abandoned. You, you've been faithful. I know that hasn't been easy for all of you to walk through those changes, whether it's the way we do music, services, uh, ministries that have had to shift and adjust. And so I really, from the depths of my heart, want to say thank you to those of you. I, I know that's been uncomfortable, but I hope you also see God's faithfulness in that and the fruit of what God's doing in people's lives and in the ministries here. God has been good through that, and, and thank you for, for your patience. For some, the past is holding you back. Paul Paul could have let the past hold him back. He talks about his past in this chapter. It could have been a terrible distraction for him. He, he had, had persecuted the church, the Christians. He had denied Christ over and over again. When Christ came to him there in Acts, he said, is it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Christ had been working on Paul for some time, and Paul had been pushing and pushing but Paul doesn't let the failures of his past affect his future. As a matter of fact, I love what Paul does. He writes this at the end of 1 Corinthians. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them. Though not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul did not let his past hold him back. Paul used it as a springboard of motivation to, to give more to Christ, to do more for Christ. Beautiful picture. Last year, we actually started the year with a, just a couple-week series on the past. How do we deal with that? If that's something you're interested in, and maybe you feel that, that pool of past mistakes or past circumstances that, that's holding you back, please let me know. We'll get that content to you. But for some of you, it really does come down to this. And we've said this over and over, and maybe it's bypassed you, maybe the hardness and deception in your heart has kept it from coming in. But for some of you, you've got to forgive people. I'm not talking about saying the words, hey, I forgive you. I'm talking about wrestling. 
and getting to the heart of that and saying, you know what, I am not gonna let their sin against me affect the way I relate to them. I'm not gonna let their sin against me destroy our relationship or affect my thoughts anymore. I'm not gonna sit around and dwell on these things anymore. You've gotta do the hard crucifixion, resurrection, good news work of truly forgiving as God's forgiven you because some of you have some rough stuff in your past and people have hurt you but you cannot move forward if you do not let that go, if you let that hold you back. Uh, for some of you, it may not even be a matter of needing to forgive somebody. It may just be a matter of trusting God. You, you look at your past and it's been difficult and uh, you just need to say, okay, God, I, I trust that this is what you wanted me to go through. That's a huge part of life coming to the realization that God has a plan for you and your past was his plan. It's ugly. It's twisted. It's not great. But you've got to look back and then look and say to God, God, okay, I get it. You wanted me to walk that road. You wanted me to go through those things. And I trust you that you're wise. I trust you that you're good. I trust you that you love me and just surrendering to him. Giving him your past so that you can give him the present so you can give him the future. We've got to move beyond the past. You know, another thing that can keep us back from moving forward is bad theology. Oh, the pastor in me loves to throw that one out. But Paul actually includes it in the text. He starts with it in the text. He says, beware of the dogs. He's not talking about the dogs next door. He's talking about the, the, the false teachers, the evildoers. He goes on to describe them as those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about those bad theologians who were coming into the churches in the Galatia area, the Philippian area, and all these places, and, and they were speaking this truth, saying, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need circumcision. You also need to follow these particular laws. Paul says, you gotta get that theology out or it will hold you back from moving forward. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that you need. As a church, we have to take great care to make certain that the gospel that Jesus has entrusted to us, his church, he's entrusted it to us, remains pure. We have to make certain that what we believe and what we teach as a church is proven in scripture. His word, our present culture is demanding that we change what we believe to conform to the societal norms. And it's been a hard turn, hasn't it? I mean, 10 years, the societal norms have changed massively in 10 years. And now they're pounding on the doors of the church and say, you've got to change what you believe. We, we cannot We, we will not change the truth of what we see in Scripture. Jesus is the only way. We have to watch out for the dogs, the evildoers. That's why I'm excited that in, in a couple of weeks we're going to be starting a new series working through uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians. You know what the, the epistle to the Galatians is about? The gospel and making sure that we get it right. 
and making sure that our, our life is truly founded in, in Jesus and not some other peripheral things. And, and I love that even what John had mentioned last week, the week before, uh, if we get the gospel right and if we fall in love with the good news of Jesus, missions is easy. Wanting other people to experience that is easy. Loving other people is easy. Because we see the, 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 the core of what we're to be following. The fourth thing that holds us back, and you probably knew this one was coming, is sin. Sin is deceptive. It's the first thing it does. Sin, when it comes into my life, when it comes into your life, the blinders go up. You don't see it. Other people see it. I don't see my own. You see it. Sin deceives us. Some of us, though, have for far too long, far too long, we've allowed sin to rule in our lives. We've allowed sin to rule in our life. We have let bitterness keep us from truly following Jesus and loving other people. You know, when I say that and when you hear that, that sounds so stupid, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like, why, why would we do that? Why would we let this thing throw us off the rails? We, we've let appetites for food supersede appetites for Jesus. Guilty. We've let addiction to alcohol, pornography, comfort, money rule us call the shots in our lives, leaving Jesus effectively on the outside of our lives looking in. We've piled excuse upon excuse upon excuse as to why we've not grown to be the husband that we know we're supposed to be or the wife that we know we're supposed to be, the, the father, the mother, the child. We've let fear and anxiety hold us back from obedience to Jesus' time and time again. We've loved ourselves more than we love God, more than we love other people. And, and now is the time to move forward in following Him. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Such a beautiful and simple promise. How do we deal with this one thing that holds us back, the sin that holds us back? We confess it. We repent of it and say, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm going this way now. I want more of Jesus than I want more of you. And by the cross, the empty tomb, we have the ability to do that. The power is in what Christ has done. The fifth and final thing that can hold us back, at least that we're talking about today, distractions. Some of them are not necessarily sinful. Uh, we, and I have to put myself squarely in this group, we can entertain ourselves to death. There, there's, there's Netflix, anything you want to stream, there's YouTube, there's social media, and we wonder why we find it so hard to open up the Bible. We wonder why we find it so hard to sit through a church service because our minds are constantly wanting other things. We fill our schedules with mu music and sports and more work than is sometime necessary, and at the end of the day, we don't have time for Jesus. 
We don't have time to, to, to serve and encourage the people of Jesus, the church. We don't have time to share the truths of Jesus with other people because our lives are so busy with our things. I know I'm not supposed to use the word sport on Super Bowl Sunday in a sermon. But listen, sport, sports is not the enemy. Sports are not sinful. I love them. They're fun to play when I could play them. And they're fun to watch. But, but please understand this. Sports are not the enemy. But I'm convinced that the enemy uses sports time and time again to distract us from, from what truly matters, from who truly matters. So what's holding you back? As I was working through this, there was a particular story that came, came to my mind from Matthew chapter 14. Uh, familiar to, to many of you, I suppose, Matthew 14, Jesus walking on the water. You know, he'd sent his disciples across on, on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm arose, it was night, and they're terrified. Uh, I, I remember when I was in Israel, we got to Tiberias, which is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's kind of down in a bowl, the Sea of Galilee is. And so I remember looking out the window in the city of Tiberias, my hotel, and I could tell there was water out there, but I couldn't see anything. I can't imagine being on the sea, on the water, in that kind of pitch black. But they were terrified because they thought they were going to die in the storm. And then even more terrifying, they see this, this aberration uh, this ghost, something coming and walking near them, and they're afraid. And Jesus speaks to them and says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And, and Peter, you, you, you gotta love the guy. He immediately answers Jesus and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I want to get out there. I, I don't, and we can, we can talk about Peter's motives. You know, did he, was he just more scared to be in the boat than with Jesus? We, we don't know. We're not given that part of the story. But it's interesting that he just immediately says, I want to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. He walked on the water. And, and then he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Jesus answered, picks Peter up, puts him in the boat. Today's a challenge to get out of the boat. The boat's comfortable. May not have been super comfortable in that moment with the storm, but the boat was comfortable, more comfortable than trying to walk on the water. Netflix is far more comfortable than reading my Bible. Staying, uh, staying home is often more comfortable than, than coming to a prayer meeting or coming to a Wednesday night or coming to something that's out of your comfort zone. Keeping to yourself is far more comfortable than getting to know your fellow church members and their name and, and, and where they work and how you can pray for them in any given week, what's going on in their life. It's far more comfortable to not have that conversation. Maintaining the status quo around here which, by the way, isn't bad right now. This kind of crowd in flu season on a Super Bowl Sunday? That's a pretty good status quo. 
But maintaining that status quo is, is comfortable, but Jesus is calling us to move forward. Bigger things, more sacrifice, more commitment, more of Him. And like Peter, we, we might just end up doing some unthinkable things. God wants to do extraordinary things in our lives. And I'm honestly convinced that time and time again, I'm the one who disrupts that. I'm the one who fumbles the ball or throws the interception there. I get in the way of what he wants to do because I'm just too busy doing my own things. He wants to use this church to reach people in this community. And there are a lot of people in this community that need reached. He wants to use this church to reach people all over the world, from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. But we have to get up, we have to take off the weight, we have to confess the sin, we have to do the disciplined work of obedience. We have to get out of the boat and we've got to strain forward for Jesus, for Him. The goal is not a church of 500 people. That's not it at all. If we ever get to that point, we might as well shut the doors. The goal is always Jesus. Always Jesus. And we have to move forward in following Him. And so I hope I hope this at least sparks your interest. Get you excited to move forward in 2020, pursuing more of Him in your own personal life and as a church.